This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Now, here's your host, Wes Bleed. Thanks, Stacy, and hello from WQA Radio, where we discuss what's important in water treatment and filtration. Now available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. This is podcast number 39. Coming up on WQA Radio. Looking forward, we need to make sure that states seeking to implement water softener bans can learn from this example and that management of chloride discharges involves very complex assessments. That's Kelly Reynolds, associate professor at the University of Arizona. She'll discuss the video presentation she made at the WQA Leadership Conference in San Diego about her research into the removal of water softeners in Santa Clarita, California. Later, we'll have a regulatory update and check in at the WQA News Desk. Coming up, our conversation with Kelly Reynolds. And our featured guest is Kelly Reynolds, Associate Professor at the University of Arizona, who presented the results of her study of a water softener ban in California. Why don't you tell us about the background and why the study was conducted, and then we'll move on from there. And by the way, joining us is David Loveday, our Government Affairs Director here at WQA. Thanks, Kelly. People may not remember, but in 2003 in Santa Clarita Valley, there was a ban on any new installations of water softeners. And in 2008, voters actually passed a measure to ban any water softeners. So if you had a water softener in place in your home, it was to be removed. And they had a rebate program incentives to get people to remove these water softeners. So there was quite an invasion of privacy in one sense in terms of the, the district wanted water softeners removed. The objective of our study was to perform a literature review of the media archives, legal documents, and district impact reports to evaluate what the social and environmental impacts of the Santa Clarita water or Santa Clarita Valley water softener ban was. We wanted to detail this collective story of the region because other regions are looking at Santa Clarita Valley to determine was this a good move or not. And Kelly, that was important because they, they did bring it to the voters, for the, the, the citizens did vote on the removal. And I think the important thing about we had to look at, uh, to go back and look at some history was what exactly uh, was presented to the constituents and the voters in Santa Clarita for that ballot initiative and what really happened and uh, down the road and afterwards. So I think this is what I think our members are going to be really anxious to hear about. Our study really showed that after the measure was passed to ban water softeners, and really the voters were told in that region that banning water softeners would save them from tax increases, that it would solve their chloride problem. The whole, the whole banning came about because the region was exceeding the chloride limit that was set at 100 milligrams per liter, and they consistently, since 1975, have been exceeding that standard. And so water softeners were one of the many contributing factors to the chloride concentrations in the local watershed. So, uh, but we found in our study that voters were really confused about this. They were told that there would be an environmental benefit, that there would be uh, a 
limit to their tax increases, and so these were major selling points. But what we found in our study, in the end, none of those things happened. Even with the water softener ban, the chloride limits continued to be exceeded, and taxes were raised because the, the wastewater treatment utilities still had to install new treatments and build new infrastructure to address the chloride problem. Were the results uh, somewhat surprising, or was this kind of what you expected to find? You know, to me, if you look at the contributing factors to what caused the chloride increases in that region, about 30% were estimated to be due to water softeners, but about 40% were due from the water coming in from the California aqueduct that's used to recharge the Santa Clara River. There are two major wastewater treatment plants that are also discharging into the Santa Clara River, and they always exceeded the 100 milligram per liter limit that's been set. So I don't think it's surprising when you look at the complexities of factors contributing here. Drought conditions are a major contributor. You know, just targeting automatic water softeners, I think, was a target towards the low-hanging fruit that ultimately was not effective. I, and that's, I was there during that time, Kelly, and I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of people understood that the water coming in was already exceeding the levels that they were trying to get to. So I do believe that this is going to be very uh, valuable to our membership at mid-years, but it's also, I believe you're going to be presenting this at the PWQA convention in October, too, correct? Correct, yes. So I think anybody anybody that would like to see or hear the study, uh, I think coming to our mid-year would be very important, but also the Pacific Water Quality Association Convention in October is also a great opportunity for them. Correct. I think one thing we really need to remember is we're not going to change what happened in Santa Clarita Valley, but we want to be able to use that example to really help other states and regions make decisions about what solutions might be effective in their region. And these are very site-specific assessments. I don't think you can look at Santa Clarita and say, that will work for us or that won't work for us. I think there needs to be a lot of discussion around it and risk modeling and environmental assessments. And I can tell you that in Santa Clarita Valley, there was little opposition or debate or discussion with the California legislature about this decision. I think it was a somewhat rushed decision, and I think other communities really need to look carefully at the balance between not just the economic benefits of some action, but the social and environmental benefits as well. So this is not just looking back. This is indeed looking forward in the sense that how this research can be utilized by other states. Absolutely. Looking forward, we need to make sure that states seeking to implement water softener bans can learn from this example and that management of chloride discharges involves very complex assessments. And that's not necessarily what happened in Santa Clarita Valley. And I think we can learn from this to really help direct other regions. Kelly Reynolds, who presented her study on the Santa Clarita, California softener ban at the WQA Leadership Conference. And she will also be presenting at the PWA convention in October. This is Kathleen Fultz, WQA's Regulatory and Government Affairs Coordinator with your regulatory updates. In Arizona, the Bureau of Child Care Licensing and the Department of Health Services Office of Environmental Health are working together to perform lead screenings of drinking water sources at child care facilities in the state. The project began at the beginning of September with licensing surveyors collecting one or more water samples during the next 
inspection of the facility. The water analysis will be performed by the Department of Health Services. If you are curious to learn more about this program, more information is available on the Arizona Department of Health website. I'm Kathleen Foltz for WQA Radio. With the WQA News Update, I'm Stacy Ostkotzbach. Don't let your certification lapse for lack of credit. WQA's 2017 professional certification cycle will end September 30, 2017. Report cards with continuing education credit status were recently emailed to all certified personnel. To be eligible for recertification, certified personnel must earn continuing education credits required by their certification title. In a recent survey, 88% of certified personnel credit professional certification with improving their confidence in front of customers. And 64% report that certification helps them be more competitive in the marketplace. If you've been considering our professional certification program, now is the time. I'm Stacey Oskosbach for WQA Radio. Time now for our WQA tip. Applications are being accepted for the new WQA Excellence Award. This is an award for a WQA member company that demonstrates excellence in customer or community service or innovation. Go to wqa.org excellence to apply. The deadline is November 1st. We also have a video on our homepage, wqa.org, that explains more. If you'd like us to explore a topic or answer a specific question about water treatment, contact me at wbleed at wqa.org. That's W-B-L-E-E-D at wqa.org. Be sure to check out the WQA Career Center for the latest opportunities in the water treatment industry. Look for the Careers tab on our homepage at wqa.org. Our thanks again to our guest on WQA Radio, Kelly Reynolds of the University of Arizona. And thanks for listening to WQA Radio, now available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on social media at WQAorg on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Google+. That'll do it for this show. For Stacey Ostkutzbach, this is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio. You've been listening to WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Learn more about WQA's Gold Seal product certification, professional education and certification, find certified products and water treatment providers, and find out how you can become a member, all at wqa.org. Thanks for listening.